Hi, my name is Reverend Mari Caballero, Marisol, if you're daring, and I am one of the ministers here at this church. And if this is your first time here, an extra special welcome. Congratulations, you've made it here on a very fun day. This is Big Gay Sunday. This is also my last Sunday, sadly, so I'm, I'm glad to be spending it with you celebrating Pride. So um, the way that we typically start our services here is by reminding ourselves and each other that we come from a long heritage on both the Unitarian Universalist side that teach us that we each carry a spark of the divine within ourselves. We find God within ourselves and within each other, as well as in the world around us. So we remind ourselves and each other of that by turning to our right and left and front and back and greeting one another and saying, hey. Please join me in the words by which we light our chalice, the symbol of our Unitarian Universalist faith found in your orders of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. I'm Elizabeth Gray. I'm your lay leader this morning, and our call to worship is Gratitude to My Ancestors by Reverend Marta Valentin. With honor and respect, these eyes see for you all manner of life you could not have imagined. My lips move with the rhythm of your words flowing through me, my tongue caressing each morsel of wisdom I am graced to pass on. Your DNA rides in my veins, and with every breath I take, your cautious steps from the past towards a fuller life become bold moves I make towards my destiny. Together, we wrap arms around a new generation, here to become who we were born to be, to cast their magic as we once did and bless each day for their ability to do so. For you, dear ancestors, we live this day. Now we are a community, if you haven't noticed yet, that welcomes everyone, regardless of place in life, place in faith, place in your journey, who you love, what you believe in, what holds you to your, to your ethics, whether it's divine or humanistic, we all gather from this diversity, and we share a mission, and that mission holds us together and keeps us going. We wrote it together. It's a living document that will be reviewed and revised, perhaps, along the years. We say it together every week. Join me. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Today's reading is a poem by Audre Lorde, A Litany for Survival. For those of us who live at the shoreline, standing upon the constant edges of decision, crucial and alone, for those of us who cannot indulge the passing dreams of choice, who love in doorways coming and going, in the hours between dawns, looking inward and outward, 
at once before and after, seeking a now that can breed futures, like bread in our children's mouths, so their dreams will not reflect the death of our own. For those of us who were imprinted with fear like a faint line in the center of our foreheads, learning to be afraid with our mother's milk, for by this weapon, this illusion of some safety to be found, the heavy-footed hoped to silence us for all of us in this instant and this triumph. We were never meant to survive. And when the sun rises, we are afraid it might not remain. It might not rise in the morning. When our stomachs are full, we are afraid of indigestion. When our stomachs are empty, we are afraid we may never eat again. When we are loved, we are afraid love will vanish. When we are alone, we are afraid love will never return. And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard or welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Please join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. God of abundance and beauty, you are called by many names. Today, we invite you into this space and into our hearts and hands and minds and feet as we do your work and as we call you by your name, love. God, we realize that in your abundance, in this world that we have so much gratitude for, in this life, that there is so much to celebrate, we realize there is also so much pain and so much to mourn and so much yet to do. We thank you for today. We thank you for next Saturday at Pride. We thank you for the continuing work of this community We pray the silent prayers of our hearts in this moment of silence together. May it be so. Amen. And now during our musical meditation, I invite you all to consider taking those silent prayers of your hearts, all that you came in the door with, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff you carry around all week, all year maybe, <clears throat> the stuff we've celebrated, the stuff you've mourned, maybe stuff you've not told anyone about yet, maybe stuff you're scared to speak. And consider lighting one of our candles with that thought on your mind and allowing that thought to, that flame to be imbued with that thought, your joy, your concern your celebration, your mourning, and let it rise up in the smoke of that flame to join, mingle with the air that we're sharing in this hall together. 
and we'll breathe in and breathe out with you that joy, that sorrow. And when you leave here, you will no longer be celebrating or mourning alone. May it be so. So two years ago, I preached the Sunday before Austin Pride and called the service Big Gay Sunday, partly because this, this title was vague enough to give me plenty of wiggle room for the direction of sermon while meeting the newsletter deadline. We do that. It's a, it's a well-known minister trick, um, pro tip. And, uh, and partly because, I mean, let's be honest, if you put the words big gay in front of, that'll do, yeah, big gay, it's, it's, yeah, in front of anything, it makes it sound ten times more fun. Big gay lunch buffet. <laughs> big gay grocery run. <laughs> big gay tax audit. <laughs> See, it works. (laughs) And that service was so much fun. The intergenerational choir saying Lady Gaga's born this way and wore feather boas. I remember um, a disco ball was dangled and a flashlight shone on it by one of the members of the choir. And, uh, And we all got up and danced in the aisles. And last year, I wasn't the one scheduled to preach on the Sunday before Pride. And I'm not sure if I would have even called the service Big Gay Sunday again. You guys are getting slow. (laughs) But no fewer than five different people have asked me in the past year, why don't we do Big Gay Sunday anymore? (laughs) Is there a reason we stopped doing it? Once, people. We did it once. (laughs) We had done it once before, but in the memory of at least several, Big Gay Sunday was a beloved annual tradition of this church that had inexplicably disappeared. (laughs) So back by popular command is ye old tradition of yore, Big Gay Sunday. (laughs) Today is the sequel. Bigger, gayer, and Sundayer than ever before. This is a pep rally of sorts to get us good and hyped for first UU's participation in next Saturday's Pride Festival and Parade. Today also happens to be, as I mentioned, my Sunday swan song. It's my last Sunday with you, with all of you as one of my ministers, as one of your ministers. I know I am trying to fight back tears. Um, My last day here at this church is technically August 31st, and you will see me at Pride, but I won't be at church next Sunday, so I feel a special responsibility to go out with a bang and give this service a real party feel. Pride is an annual celebration of survival by people who, due to cultural saturation of both homophobia and violence, were never meant to survive. Yet here we are, 
together with our many allies. Speaking, singing, dancing, advocating, simply living in ways that our ancestors never imagined. We are their eyes, we're their breath, their tongues, their arms, their help to bless the generations coming up. In Spanish, the word for ancestors is antepasados, which directly translates to those who have passed before. Circumstance has left my family of origin um, many unanswered questions about our genetic relations. So I find this definition of ancestors appealing and quite useful in this way, my ancestors, our ancestors, if you'll come with me in this journey um, of understanding this word, um, need not be blood relation, but rather those who have gone before, leaving us behind to continue their legacies. I'd like to introduce you to one of our ancestors. Her picture is on your orders of service. her big smile, her fashion choices that she was known for. Her name was Marsha P. Johnson. She was born Malcolm Michaels Jr. in 1944, New Jersey, and lived as a transgender woman in Lower Manhattan. Of course, back then, the terms she used to describe herself were transvestite, transsexual, and most often queen. She spent much of her adult life experiencing homelessness. Sometimes Marcia slept in the home of friends, in Times Square movie theaters, or anywhere, anywhere else she could find to lay her head. In the documentary about her online, which I encourage you to watch, Pay It No Mind, The Life and Times of Marsha P. Johnson. A friend recalls once seeing her asleep under a table in the flower district. She was known for wearing these elaborate crowns of fresh flowers on her head and was often given colorful varieties for free by the wholesalers that she made friends with in the flower district. Her friend recalls asking the vendor, why do you let her sleep under your table like that? And the man answered, because she's holy. It's true. St. Marcia, she was called by the folks in Greenwich Village. Though poor, had little attachment to material things and would literally give the shirt off her back or food or money to total strangers in need. Often harassed and brutalized, she somehow kept a genuinely cheerful disposition. She often said that the P in Marsha P. Johnson stood for pay it no mind. And that's how she lived her life. She was spending the night of her birthday, June 27, 1969, at the local dive bar in her neighborhood. Calling it a dive was correct. But calling it a bar was a stretch. It was illegal to operate a gay bar in New York City then. In fact, it was illegal to serve a customer if they revealed that they identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or trans. 
Because of this, few mafia-run establishments popped up along Christopher Street opportunistically that catered to the fairies, as they called them, without liquor licenses. And the police were paid to look the other way. The gay men in most of these bars did not take too kindly to the presence of queens. So the Stonewall Inn became the place with a clientele made up mostly of young, gender-variant, and poor people of color mostly. The Stonewall Bar became a refuge and often makeshift LGBT homeless youth shelter. Kids who had to run away or were kicked out of their homes because of who they were could panhandle during the day to get the $3 entrance fee and spend the whole night inside and out of the cold. In a place with no running water, just a tub behind the bar to rinse and reuse glasses, no one monitored whether everyone inside was a paying customer. No one who was there remembers exactly how it all started, but that night, the police raided the Stonewall Inn in the wee hours of the morning of June 28th, arresting 13 people for being caught either with three or more items of clothing that did not match their assigned gender or dancing with someone of the same gender, both arrestable offenses. Everyone who was there agreed that Marsha and her friend and fellow queen and activist, Silvia Rivera, were among the first to fight back. Someone threw something that got it all started. Some say it was Marsha who threw a shot glass against a mirror and yelled, I got my human rights too, at the police. Within minutes, the Stonewall Inn was fighting back in full riot and the LGBT movement was born. The riot went on for six days. At one point, a can-can line of queens formed and confronted the line of riot police with a song as they kicked their legs, Rockette style. We are the Stonewall Girls. We wear our hair in curls. And on and on, it went downhill with the raunchiness from there. It was this courage and daring by people who had very little to lose, like Marsha and Sylvia, that inspired such resistance. The amazing thing about this, these riots is that, yes, there was violence as these people fought back against years of subhuman treatment. They were done with it. They were up way past here. But they also used camp humor, sarcasm, song, and dance. They didn't lose themselves in the violence but rather use the very essence of their community as an act of resistance. It reminds me of one of my favorite lines from the musical Rent. The opposite of war isn't peace, it's creation. A year after the riots, New York's queer community gathered for an anniversary march from the Stonewall Inn to Central Park. The organizers remember that they were so terrified of being attacked or arrested or both that first year that it was more of a run than a march. They made it to Central Park so quickly. 
But when they arrived there at the park and turned and looked back at the crowd they were leading, it had grown to hundreds. This is how pride marches and parades were born. Today, pride celebrations still employ the use of creative resistance. There are queer cable networks now, well-recognized and well-funded LGBTQ rights advocacy organizations. There are LGBTQ chambers of commerce, softball leagues, legal firms, youth centers, you name it. When I was growing up, I did not know one single out and successful celebrity. Not one. I knew of some who were objects of ridicule or who were suspected, but not one out successful celebrity. It was my senior year of high school that Ellen came out. These days, it's not completely without occasion serious professional, um, with, without occasional, excuse me, serious professional consequences. Remember Michael Sam's NFL career, how short-lived that was. But it's no longer shocking news when a major celebrity comes out of the closet. In fact, if a celebrity chooses to keep their personal lives private, as Jodie Foster did for so many years, they are negatively judged by the public, especially by the LGBTQ community, as self-loathing and cowardly. Of course, there are legal battles that have been won through our efforts as well. We now enjoy the right to marry in all 50 states. We, yay! <laughs> yeah. We can adopt children. We can openly serve in the military. Our queer, our queer culture has saturated the art so thoroughly that those among us who identify as straight no longer bat an eye to see a queer character on their favorite primetime TV shows. Pride is about being celebratory, yet cognizant of the footsteps that we travel in. A way has certainly been paved by some who sit in this congregation today, by Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and many other forgotten heroes of the Stonewall Rebellion. Hollywood depiction of the event emphasized white male characters. Even though veterans of the event, eyewitnesses, all agree that the LGBTQ rights movement was begun by trans women of color. Our predecessors laid their lives on the line, yet there is so much work to do. Marriage equality did not do anything to ensure proper health care for LGBTQ people or protection from employment and housing discrimination and many other rights still denied us. Our greater community, including our straight allies, is still shocked with grief over the Pulse nightclub shooting, which led, left 50 dead, the majority of which were queer people of color and young. I include in these numbers the shooter, who himself was a casualty of homophobic, hyper-masculinity that has arisen as a result of our LGBTQ community's recent gains. And I'll say it, this political campaign of Trump's. As much as we would like to attribute 
of the assassin's actions to affiliation with a terrorist organization across the sea, such violence against queer people is historically as American as apple pie. As society swings left on acceptance, there are those whose bigotry has not been given time to accept these new standards, though it has been almost 50 years since the Stonewall Rebellion. Such hatred has seen an increase in recent years, and trans women of color have borne the brunt of it. Last I checked a few days ago, the death toll for trans women killed in 2006 has climbed up to 19. Almost all of them were trans women of color. The majority of violence against the most vulnerable in our community goes unreported and or unprosecuted. In fact, Marsha P. Johnson's death by drowning in 1992 was quickly ruled a suicide, though her friends suspect foul play to this day. To exist and especially to exist joyfully as a queer person, continues to be a radical act of defiance. Our happiness is rebellion. In a world and in a time that still tells us that we are not meant to survive, this Saturday we will participate in the Pride Festival and Parade, as we have done in the past several years. As a community of faith, we are unique, uniquely poised. We're in a unique position to demonstrate that celebration of life, of ours and of those of the dead, it can coexist alongside the grief that we continue to hold. Joy and grief are in this room today. Joy and grief are in our hearts as queer people and as allies. The float we've decided this year for our church is themed in memoriam and will be a moving tribute, both literally and figuratively, <laughs> to our gratitude to those who dared to live life as fully and as authentically as possible and are no longer with us. We will be dancing, we will be celebrating their fierceness, as well as carrying candles and signs that read the names of the victims of the Orlando shooting. Please consider showing up in great number. All of you are invited. Even if this is your first time here, please march with us. Our, our church's Facebook page will have an update this week of where you can meet our parade contingency. And if you're at the festival earlier in the day, come find our booth and say hey. But, you know, consider making a sign of your own. Consider showing up not just to march, but to put your flesh in the game. Our, our middle schoolers are making signs, but 
we will together create a, an important space. Other floats, no doubt, will have the typical oiled-down, bikini-clad dancing guys and the throbbing house and disco beat, but we will have that, well, maybe not the, the thongs, but um, we'll have the dancing, we'll have the music, but we will also bring the reverence. And we'll create this really important space for our community and for the Austin community at large who holds this joy and grief together in tension and doesn't really know what to do with it all of the time. This reality of the pain of grief and the joy of love. I just, I've been reflecting on this and though today is my last Sunday, it's fitting that, that pride will be my last act with this church community. And such a holy act at that, to march alongside you in this particular way this year. If you use held sacraments, I'd like to think that this would be among them. Our participation in pride is an act of humility around how little of this struggle we can attribute to ourselves alone, as well as a commitment and show of our resolve to continue in the struggle that did not begin and will not end with us. It has been such an honor and my life's joy to minister to you and beside you. And a blessing to me that I will complete my service here next Saturday on the Revolution's Parade Route. It's a deeply religious act to realize that we were not meant to survive. And yet here we stand. So now I'd like to invite you to... Um, join me in the words by which we extinguish our chalice today. They're also found in your orders of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.